and let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Uh, March 12th, 1938. Germany annexes Austria. The Anschluss makes Austria part of this new coming German Reich. It's, it's solidified in law on March 13th in Austria. And it was welcomed by a good percentage of Austrians. The Austrians were used to empire. They were, they were part of the old Austro-Hungarian empire. They were part of the whole old Habsburg empire. They, they, they were used to this sort of thing. So many people were, were very fond of the idea, and some were not. Not fond of Nazis, not fond of the German government. Well, on April 3rd, there was a football match soccer match, soccer game, between the German national team and the Austrian national team, although it wasn't called the Austrian national team, it was, it was the, the German-Austrian team or, or something like that. It'd be like there being a, 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 an all-star game of high school football of players from all over the United States playing against players just from Texas. And it'd be tipped as the uh, U.S. national team versus the Texan national team. We wouldn't say that, right? It would be weird. And so it was weird for them because they had changed the scope of the world. But the Austrian team was primarily based in Vienna. The players, they were part of... Vienna was, was the, the, the home of Austrian football. Austria had a very good national team at the time. And the majority of the clubs in Vienna were run by Jewish families, many of them very devout Jews, very connected to Zionism. A couple of clubs expected you to be a practicing, almost Orthodox Jew to be able to play for them. And so they play this match on April 3rd. And the myth is, is that the, the German government comes to Austria and says, now we're, we're, no one's going to score it's going to end in a tie so that we all look good. Because Germany had not had a good Olympics in 1936. Well, the Austrian team goes into the game, and there was, there was a fight even before the game about what uniform the Austrians could wear. Even though the game was being played in Vienna, Germany wanted them to wear their away kits, their away jerseys, while Austria wore their home kits, their home jerseys in red and, and white, almost an act of defiance there. And in the first half, Austria missed a lot of chances. They played a different kind of, of football than, than, than Germany did, soccer. And then by the 62nd minute, Austria scored, and then they scored again a few minutes later, and Austria won two to nothing. And it's been looked back on ever since as a picture of Austrian defiance, albeit somewhat passively because of the, the, the scope of, of the Anschluss for, for many Austrians, how, how many looked at them. 
But the interesting thing about this game is that it did not end the occupation. Winning, winning that game did not drive out the Germans. Winning that game did not stave off World War II. But it was a picture of the Austrian way of life. They played their football in their colors with their players, and they won. Yet they still remained under the control of the Germans, the Nazis. Well, this Sunday, our text for the gospel is from Luke. You heard it read. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, Cleopas and his buddy. It's on the day of the resurrection. And they're walking along this road and they're arguing with themselves, differences of opinion, uh, almost disappointed in what had happened because they expected something of this Jesus. And Jesus shows up and they don't recognize him. The the text says they were prevented from recognizing him, almost this this godlike intervention. But then, in some ways, they had a picture of this Jesus and they did not expect to see him. He was supposed to be dead. And Jesus asked them, well, what are you arguing about? Because that was what they were doing. And, and, and Clopas has to say, what, are you the only person in all the world that doesn't know what just happened in Jerusalem? There's this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who we thought was a great and powerful prophet. He was testified before, for many people, before the, the nation. We thought he was awesome. Jesus is letting them make their confession they, uh, of this, this Jesus that they thought they had. And they talk about how he was, he was arrested without a shot fired, basically, just like when the German army entered Austria. And he remains silent before his accusers, and he was condemned and sentenced to death and murdered like a criminal. And he's been dead three days, and now we had some women come and tell us that he's risen. But we thought he was supposed to be the one to free us. We thought he was supposed to be the one to make our lives better. We thought he was supposed to be the one that was going to drive out the Romans. That was going to raise up the nation of the, 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 the tribe of, of, of Judah and the, and the nation of Israel again. The people of Israel was going to, he was going to raise them up and lead them as the Messiah he's supposed to be. He's supposed to free us from physical and political bondage. And even if the women are telling the truth, which we don't, we don't really believe them, because in those days, women were not even allowed to testify in courts. Can you imagine that? And so it's no wonder that they say, well, these women came and told us that they saw some angels, and, and the angels told them that he's risen and the tomb was empty. But we don't know. We don't know what to do with that. Well, Jesus responds, and what does he say? In the Greek, he basically says, you idiots. You morons, you fools. Slow to believe in your hearts what the prophets have spoken. 
And then it says that he said it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory. And then it says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And so he starts with Genesis 3, talking about the seed of the woman defeating the serpent. And then he jumps to Deuteronomy 18, where Moses says, a prophet will be raised up like me, and everyone must listen to him. And then go to the promise made to David that one will sit on his throne forever. And then go to Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 40 and 42 and 49 and 53 and go to Jeremiah 31 and go to Ezekiel 34 and Ezekiel 37 and Psalm 22, all of these different places. And he opens it up for them. And and they finally get to where it is that they're going. And Jesus pretends that he's going to go somewhere else. And so they sing to him that refrain from Holden, stay with us for it is evening. The day is almost over. And so he stays. And he reclines at table with them and they break bread together and then they finally see that it's their Jesus there. In a normal way, in an everyday way, first on a road, just taking a walk, there Jesus shows up. And then there at that table, an everyday, ordinary Jesus shows up in the breaking of that bread and they see him. They recognize him. And the the results are, and I love what they say, they say, weren't our hearts burning within us when he opened the scriptures to us? Weren't they burning within us? Well, church, the danger of a societal Christian is that more often than not, we expect much. We expect to, to change the world. We want to be part of the change of that world. We expect a transformation of everything. Right now, we are begging for transformation. We are begging for a change to go back to the normal. We're, we're begging for the end of this pandemic. We're begging for healing. We want that. But the reality is, is that much of life is not that. Much of it is just ordinary, everyday things. A walk and a meal, for instance. And that's where Christ belongs, actually. Because changing the world may come and it may go. And more often than not, if changing the world comes, we usually like to take credit for it. But in reality, what we need is our Christ to come in the everyday, ordinary things. So he remains there with us as a foundation as a bedrock for us when all of life seems to be going sideways. Christ shows up there for us. Let me take you quickly to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I go there because it is this call of the ordinary. There in verse 4, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. 
Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of very good things, that you did not fill them with cisterns, that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. Fear the Lord your God. Worship him. Church, there is this call here of God to be in the midst of the everyday. That it says here that we're supposed to repeat these words to our children. We're supposed to talk about them when we sit in our house. So reclining at table, when we're walking along the road. When you lie down, when you get up, bind them upon yourself. Make them part of who you are, this confession of this risen Christ who has defeated sin, death, and the devil. This Christ who lives as the resurrected one. Because so often we forget how often it is we enter into parts of life where we're given such great and glorious gifts and we forget the God who has given them to us. That it might remain there as an everyday faith, an ordinary faith, because when when stuff gets real, when we think life is supposed to be good with freedom and no pandemics, no death, and then everything goes sideways. God is still there as your God. God is still there when it doesn't pan out. Christ remains as the risen Lord when all these things fall apart. Parents and grandparents, this is our job. That we might instill this faith in our children that we believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. What does that mean for us to teach that to our children? Or in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who came, who died, who rose again, and who will come again. The resurrected Jesus is part of our life in the normal. Not just in our good days, but in our bad too. Not just for one hour a week, but a regular everyday faith. Jesus being for the road and the table for us. Parents, grandparents, it calls us to teach this regularly, daily, all the time, morning, noon, and night to our kids because this is not the first pandemic to come and it will not be the last. This is not the first time when life will be hard and it will not be the last And we need Christ there with us. We need this faith and understanding that we have one who has come, who has raised us up in him. That no death and no pandemic can take that 
away from us. Well, lastly, let me take you to one more place. Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk's one of those places that we don't go to too often. But I love it. It's there in chapter 2 where we hear him make this proclamation, but the righteous one will live by faith. The one declared righteous by God, made righteous by Christ, will live by trust and faith in God when all else fails. Because everything was falling apart around Habakkuk. They were being invaded by the Chaldeans. Drought had come. Devastation. And yet in the midst of all of it, he writes this in Habakkuk chapter 3, starting at verse 16. I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls. In other words, though coronavirus has come, though unemployment has come, though life is hard right now, though all our activities at school have gone away, though schoolwork has changed, The work for us has changed. Though masks have been brought out to wear. He writes this, Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. This past week, I spent a couple of days down in the cities with my grandfather, sitting at the bedside of my grandmother. And by the time you hear this, she possibly is with Christ in glory. And it struck me. She wasn't dying of coronavirus. It was her time. And yet God is still God. Christ is still Christ. And my grandfather made sure to remind me of that as I reminded him of that. That Christ comes to us and says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life, he says. He who believeth in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Hold to this, church. Open up the scriptures for yourself. Open up the scriptures for your children and your grandchildren. Pray. Gather around the word. Pass on this Christ to one another this Christ of the everyday. Because just as it was for the the Austrian national team, it didn't change much about life around them. It actually made some things worse for some of them. But that pride of being Austrian, that culture, that life, was to be theirs even in the midst of their being surrounded by an occupying force. Well, we are surrounded, church, by an occupying force, a virus we cannot see, fear, anxiety. May Christ be the center and bedrock of your life today. And may it be shared with those that will be coming after us.
Thanks be to God. Amen.